The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, in this age where there are so many competing media sources, where information flies at us 24-7 from so many different directions, it's important to know there are a few people we can trust, people we can count on to know the facts and to tell it to us straight. And for me, when it comes to foreign policy, global trade, environmental policy, or the Middle East, the one person I trust more than anybody else is Tom Friedman, columnist for the New York Times. Growing up, Tom wanted to be a professional golfer, but fortunately for us, he changed his mind and went into journalism instead. Now for his reporting and commentary, Tom's been awarded the Pulitzer Prize three times in 1983, 1988, and 2002. It rarely happens, but occasionally, Tom's view of the world drives him to comment on domestic politics. In fact, I sat down with Tom Friedman a couple of days ago, the very day that his blockbuster column, Impeach Trump, Save America, appeared in the New York Times. Tom, it's good to see you again. Great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. So, um, what a day. Uh, your column hit this morning on the uh, New York Times. I have in front of me, Impeach Trump, Save America. What prompted you to write that column? You don't usually get into domestic politics. Well, I actually have. It's hard to really um, write meaningfully today about the world if you're not writing about domestic politics as well as foreign affairs. Um but basically, obviously, I've been following this all along, you know, what, what's been going on. I felt that um, uh, it had reached a point in my head where um, I had to come down very clearly on what I believe. Uh, and what I believe is that if we allow a president to um, enlist a foreign power uh, to intervene on our election uh, on his behalf using um, American military aid as the cudgel to do that, um, if we just turn away from that, but we, we will never have another legitimate election because every president going forward will now have license to say, hey, Trump did it, so I'm going to list the Chinese, I'm going to list the Saudis, I'm going to list the Iranians, I'm going to list cyber experts in Czechoslovakia, wherever, uh, on my behalf, number one. And, and number two, if we say a president can resist all subpoenas, and can ban from testifying in a case involving him, all his top aides who are the most knowledgeable about this case, people like John Bolton or Rudolf Giuliani, um, then we no longer live actually in a democracy. We live in a monarchy. That's what monarchies do. And um, uh, henceforth, our country would be different. So what's at stake here is, is everything. It's actually the foundations of our constitutional democracy. Does a president have a right to enlist a foreign power to get himself elected 
And having done that, committed any crime, does the president have a right to resist all subpoenas, um, uh, both of uh, documents and uh, testimony, uh, to ensconce himself in power? Well, this is this is everything. And you use the phrase, save America. Yeah. You believe it's that serious. Oh, I, I believe it's that serious. Yeah, I, I believe that um, if we erase those lines, Bill, between foreign intervention and an American election and the line between um, uh, separation of powers of three co-equal powers uh, into monarchy, we're a different country. We're a different America. And boy, you will miss the one we had when it's gone. Have you heard from uh, friends at the State Department or the White House today? No, yeah, you know, they don't. The Trump people don't. Uh, the president attacked me on Twitter once a while back, um, mm -hmm. uh, but they don't um, uh, reach out to me in any way, shape, or form. What do you say to the argument? Well, this is all wrong. Let the voters decide. Let's wait until November 2020. I totally agree with that argument, which is why I ask myself: Why was the president of the United States? using American tax dollars to induce the president of Ukraine to launch an investigation against his presumed rival in the 2020 election, his most feared rival, in the hopes that by doing so, it would kill his campaign in the crib. What the hell was Trump doing but subverting the will of the people for 2020? Mm -hmm. So when Republicans say, why, the people should decide to remove a president uh, through elections, not the Congress, I totally agree, except in a case where the president's deeds are, in effect, undermining the very framework for free and fair elections. And that's precisely why the founders said, yes, presidents should be elected and removed by the popular vote. But there will be cases where a president begins to act like a monarch, which is what they feared most, in which case said person must be impeached. Or a mechanism has to be created to impeach him. So we are now pretty much three years of the Donald Trump presidency. Can I say one more thing on that? Yes, please. And the founders didn't say, you know, if you actually, as a president, break the law in the last nine months mm -hmm. before an election, that's okay. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but not 10 months. 10 months, no, 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 no. And your first year, never. You know yeah. what I mean? No, no. They, they, they said we are, we are a country of laws, not of men. Uh, or women, and um, and so uh, this is open and shut for me. Right. That's and so everything is at stake here. Is there something I'm missing? Is there is there something more about the sanctity of our country, the the uh, the sustenance of our democracy, than having free and fair elections and a separation of powers? What are we other than that? Just a flag, mm -hmm. uh, just a territorial entity. That those are the two unique features of our system the separation of powers, and free and fair elections. We lose those. We're, 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 we're Russia. We're, 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 we're China. We're, we're Egypt. We're Turkey. Mm -hmm. So we're just about, just for all practical purposes, three years into the Donald Trump presidency. Is there a Trump foreign policy? And if so, what is it? Um, there is a... Is there a Trump foreign policy? Is it America first? Is it America I mean, it's, alone? Um, it's, it's sort of America first. It's sort of America alone. It's sort of um, other people need to be paid more, that every country in the world is sort of like a dim sum restaurant in Trump Tower. 
you know, hey, pal, you're not paid enough rent, you know. But what there isn't is an animating principle um, that we're here to spread decency. We're here to spread democracy. We're here um, uh, to promote um, uh, global trade and commerce. There's, there's just kind of a cranky, um, you're not paying enough, and your trade is stealing my trade. Now, by the way, I, there's things here that I have sympathy with. We needed to rebalance our trade mm -hmm. relationship with China. I've supported the president on that in principle. I would have done it tactically very different. Um, but what there is, it's a kind of mercantilist, old style, this is just about money. Um, either you're not paying enough rent um, for an organization Trump doesn't even particularly seem to be affectionate toward NATO, um, or your uh, trade is in, in unbalanced with ours. Um, but there isn't a sense that the world will be a better place if more governments share these values. Is the American president still the leader of the free world? In theory, the American president is still the leader is of Donald the free Trump? world. But Donald Trump is not. Um, uh, we are in a post-American world right now. And uh, what I mean by that is my friend Fried Zakaria a decade ago wrote a book about the post-American world. And what he really meant was a world where um, American power would no longer be so supreme that, that there would be what he called the rise of the rest. And then mm -hmm. we'd be post-American in the sense that we couldn't just call the shots the way we had before. I think we're in a post-American world now in a different way. Uh, we're in a world where America, as the arbiter of truth, and the promoter of trust, really the two ingredients of a stable world, and by the way, of stable democracy, truth and trust, that that America is no longer with us anymore. You can't have an America that is the arbiter of truth when the president lies as he breathes. Um, you can't have an America that is the a generator of trust when we're constantly attacking people um, uh, and calling others names. Uh, and when no one knows when we'll pull the rug out from under them with a tweet. And so in that sense, we're in a post-American world. And it's disorienting people, Bill. Mm -hmm. um, people have never lived in this world. You and I haven't lived in this world. We've only known a world where America was the, the basic organizer of global coalitions to combat communism or climate change, and where America was the arbiter of What's true out there? No, no, you Russians, you're lying about that issue, whatever it is. Or no, no, the science says this. And so when when the world no longer has that America, it's actually very disorienting for people. A couple of specific cases. Did uh, Donald Trump make a mistake in pulling out of the Paris climate deal? Oh, there's no question in my view. It's not that the Paris Again, climate in terms deal, of our leadership in the yeah. world. Uh, it wasn't that the Paris climate deal was the be-all and the end-all was going to, but it was a global framework that sent the signal that mitigating climate change was important, okay? And that not only went out to governments and people, went out to every company. All right, you know, the, the Americans in the world now say this, I, I better get a sustainability officer. We better have a carbon policy. We better think about our carbon footprint. But when America pulls out, um, every other country can use it to say, hey, you know, if they're mm -hmm. not going to do it, I'll just pollute as much as I want. Same question, the Iran nuclear deal. 
So, you know, the Iran nuclear deal, I, I, I would not have done it the way he did it. Um, or if I did it, what I would have done. Let's just step back for a second. Um, Trump has chosen to take on two of the oldest civilizations on the planet at the same time, Persia and China. Okay. And in both cases, he created enormous leverage on them, on China through tariffs and on Persia through oil sanctions and the scrapping of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, to me, it's all about what you do with that leverage. So had he done that and then come to the Iranians and say, look, I, I just want two things, two things. I want um, this Iran nuclear deal was for 15 years, basically, the true mm -hmm. denuclearization part of it. I want to make that for 30 years, number one. And number two, I want to limit all your missile testing to the radius of the Middle East. That's all. I just want those two things. Had he done that, Bill, he would have triggered the biggest fight in Tehran between moderates mm. and hardliners. You can admit, because look, we got to take. They used to take away all our own. We we got to take this, okay? And um, but instead, by going basically for regime change, basically putting down a list of nine or ten conditions that tant were tantamount to regime change, he made it very easy for um, this to be him versus Iran rather than the world versus Iran on the issue of denuclearization and anti-ballistic missiles. And as a result of that, he forces all the Iranian people to wave the flag of the regime because he makes it just this black and white thing. Um, I would say the same thing is mm. what he's done with China. On the world stage, and you've written about that, uh, it's remarkable that Donald Trump does not seem to be too friendly with uh, people who have been our longtime allies, Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, even though Macron's not been there that long. But he's very buddy-buddy with Erdogan and Putin and Kim Jong-un and Modi. Yeah. It's clear he likes autocrats. He likes yeah. people. What's um, that all about? I think it's he's got, you know, autocrat envy. Um, he really um, wishes he was as unrestrained uh, as He's their are. model, basically. Yeah. I mean, I mean they're, they're his they're model. model. Yeah, they, they, he really would like to be able, and he said this jokingly, but I think more truth is that in jest here, you know. Um, and with Putin, I have no idea what's there, but it's so unusual. His deference to Putin, his readiness to um, take Putin's side on so many issues like Ukraine, um, his denial of our own intelligence community's conclusions about Russia's intervention in our life. It's, it's so clear um, that either he's just totally uh, infatuated with Putin um, uh, and in awe of him, or the Russians have something on him. I, I have no idea, but this is not normal behavior of an American president, and we should never normalize it. The um, person who is responsible, supposedly, in the administration for foreign policy, of course, is the Secretary of State. What is your take on the job uh, Pompeo's doing? I think that um, Pompeo um, will go down uh, as um, the worst Secretary of State uh, in the post-war era, topping even Tillerson, um, who Tillerson was just inept. But what Pompeo has done is, is positively reprehensible. He stood by while Trump and Giuliani shot his diplomats in the back. Uh, fired the ambassador from Ukraine for absolutely no reason other than that um, Ukrainian thugs in alliance with Giuliani, you know, thought she was getting in their way with her own anti-corruption uh, programs in, in, in Kiev. And, and Pompeo knew that. 
Pompeo knew that she was doing a good job. How do we know that, Bill? Because his own deputy, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Sullivan, in his hearing to become the U.S. ambassador to Moscow, told us that. Told us that she was doing her job and she was doing it well. He told us that she was ousted because of Rudolf Giuliani, his own deputy. The guy who sits down the hall from him a few feet told us that. So despite that, the man who we're told always graduated number one in his class from West mm. Point evidently missed the course on ethics, ethics, loyalty, and leadership because he let his own people get shot in the back. With, by the way, who do you think were the better Secretary of States in the post-war era, Republican or Democrat? Which ones do, do you think really stand out? Henry Kissinger, George Shultz, Jim Baker, certainly all uh, come to my mind very readily. One thing, perhaps, that um, a lot of us could agree on Donald, with Donald Trump on is his argument against what he calls endless wars. Now, I'm not saying he's done a lot about right. it. Right. But is he right to say we ought to pull our troops out of Afghanistan, particularly after what we learned this week? Sure. I, I think there is a case for that. Um, you know, I supported the Iraq War for democracy reasons. I was actually never into the Afghan war. I believed if you changed Afghanistan, you changed Afghanistan. I believed if you changed Iraq, you forged an alliance between Sunni Shiites and Kurds, you changed the whole Middle East. Um, that didn't end well, um, and that's a whole like another radio show. But um, to me, Afghanistan, I just was never a believer in the process, of the, pro the possibility of transforming Afghanistan. Most of all, I was never a believer in the value. Um, that Afghanistan is uh, living in a sort of blind alley somewhere, and we kind of got in there to remove al-Qaeda um, and Osama bin Laden, and then somehow slipped and into— did. And did. And then somehow slipped into this other mission, and um, uh, and and it could have ended a long time ago. I, I If we got out tomorrow in the right way, obviously, the people have helped us. We need to secure their, their future, and so I, I support the president doing that. Right. 18 years, $2 trillion, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's appalling. Right. Uh, the Post piece was amazing on that. And we're talking with uh, Tom Friedman, uh, columnist for the New York Times, the leading foreign policy columnist in the country here on the Bill Press Pod. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Today's Bill Press Pod brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the great Teamsters Union, under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. They're called, rightfully so, America's strongest union, representing 1.4 million workers in both the public sector and the private sector, doing jobs, as the Teamsters say, everything from A to Z, representing airline pilots all the way up to zookeepers and everybody in between. They do great work. We salute them for their great work and for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website. You'll be amazed at all the different uh, activities the Teamsters are engaged in. Check out their website at teamster.org. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, 
accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. And we're back with uh, Tom Friedman. Tom, thanks again for giving us some time today. Um, uh, I'd like to just hopscotch maybe through some of the hot spots in the world, sure. if I can. A rare opportunity I'd have to be able to pick your brain on these. I want to start with a country that we don't talk a lot about. There's a, an alarming, frightening piece I found in the current issue of the New Yorker magazine by Dexter Filkins about India and Prime Minister Modi. I actually read the piece. It is a remarkable piece, and um, I am really pained. troubling yeah. situation, isn't it? I it's mean, very he's... troubling, Bill, and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, I'm a well-known Indiophile. Um, I'm an Indiophile because uh, not because I like the food, which I do, or the dress, or <laughs> sort of like all the people, but because I've always thought India was a miracle, right. a nation of 1.3 billion people speaking 120 different languages, holding free and fair elections basically every four years, you know, um, and that if India were like Syria today or like Yemen, the whole world would be different because we're talking about one sixth of humanity basically. Mm. So um, I've, I've been a big supporter of India, but I'm deeply worried by the nationalist, exclusivist, anti-Muslim tendencies within the Modi government. And um, again, it's one of the prices we pay for an America that's basically absent on these kinds of issues, um, is that there's no American president able to pull Modi aside and say, you know, you know how much we we adore your our fellow democracy, India. How much we respect your culture and your your history and your people and their talents. But we kind of think you're going down the wrong path here, and maybe you should think about that a little bit. You know, the world's home alone now. I mean, for all extremists, you know, all over the world. But I know this particularly from the Middle East. Every Middle East government's got its hardliners, its extremists, and its uh, its softliners. You know, its more moderates. And historically, the role of the American president was a very important role, that when that Middle Eastern government had that cabinet meeting and that extremist person suggested that really extremist, crazy-ass thing, that the prime minister would be able to say, I would love to do that mm. extremist, 
crazy thing you're suggesting, but the American president broke my arm. The American president would never let me. What, what would Donald Trump say? That is a sentence that has not been uttered anywhere in the world for the last three years. But what would the American president say? How do you read the situation in North Korea with this supposed bromance between Trump and Kim Jong-un? Has it, has it delivered anything for the United States? No. It has delivered. It's off the front burner. He's not testing missiles uh, over you know, um, American bases in Japan or the South China Sea. They seem to have slowed down their nuclear development program. Apparently, we don't know for sure. That's all good. I, I have no problem with that. I give the president credit for that. But peace, um, peace for nuclear weapons, that deal's never going to happen. You know, the North Koreans figured this out a long time or ago. Or denuclearization. Yeah. Well, I mean, peace for them giving up their yeah. nuclear weapons, you know. So um, I don't think it's anywhere in that regard. But I'm glad it's quiet, you know. And how long it remains so, I don't know. But, um, you know, Trump just said, hey, I defused it a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I get hats off. Um uh, to suggest that it's like all historic, you know, end of conflict, anything of that nature, um, just because he stepped across the line into North Korea is stuff and nonsense. Brexit. How do you read that? Well, you know, I appreciate that there's a there's a trend in the UK um, uh, that is for independence, wants to have uh, its own sovereignty and not be part of a larger European entity and have... Uh, um, uh, governmental decisions decided in certain ones in Brussels. You know, it seemed to me from the very beginning that the Brexit advocates, Bill, wanted something that um, is impossible. They want to be in the EU and out of the EU at the same time. They want all the trade advantages of being in the EU, but they want all the independence of being out of the EU, and that's not possible. So they're going to find some cockamamie way, frankly, to square this circle, I suppose, eventually. But I, I, I just have a very hard time thinking that in the long run, it's going to be good for the United Kingdom. You know, I went to graduate school in Oxford. I met my wife there. I was married there. It's a country I have a lot of affection for. Um, and I just, uh, I don't think it's going to be enlarged by this in, in, the, in the fullness of time. But we'll see. But I, 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 I'm very sad for what Britain's become. And there are a lot of questions, too. I know we we're, we're <laughs> unable to probe each of these, but just kind of bouncing across the surface. A lot of questions, too, about uh, America's relationship today with Saudi Arabia, particularly right. in light of the terrorist attack yeah. at the Pensacola Naval Base. Um, you started out as a big fan of MBS. Mm -hmm. um, are you still? Well, you know, um, if you actually read what I wrote about MBS, um, <laughs> uh, as opposed to what people wrote about what I wrote about MBS, <laughs> Uh, it was very simple. I said, um, he has an upside and a downside. Um, and our job is to curb the downside and get the upside. What was that upside? The upside was that for the first time, we had a Saudi leader who was taking on the war of ideas. Okay, ever since 9-11, we've had Saudi leaders that we came to them and said, hey, arrest Mohammed Jones. He's involved in terrorism. Arrest Khalil Smith, he's sending money to bad groups. And they would do that. But you know what they never did, Bill? They never took on the war of ideas. And for the first time, I saw a Saudi leader ready to take on the war of ideas. That was a big deal. Because that Islam that motivated uh, Al-Qaeda, that motivated all of these radical fundamentalist groups, it starts in Saudi Arabia. You begin to change that 
mm-hmm. you changed something very, very big, something that ended up in 9-11 and in driving us into the Middle East. So yes, I saw the potential. I saw a little crack yeah. to push pluralism, and I pushed it, and I don't regret it for one second. And <laughs> okay. okay, but at the same time, sure. I, I said but, the kids got a huge downside. I said this from the very beginning, and we have got to curb the downside because guess what? Perfect's not on the menu. Perfect's not on. Madison is not running for king of Saudi Arabia. Okay, and um, you don't have you wait there for some liberal. We're talking about Saudi Arabia, you know. So, so I, I just think people. Um, it's just sort of the nature of the discussion right now. If you dare to step out like I want to do sometimes and say, hey, wait a minute, there's there's an opportunity there, um, and it goes bad, then people say, well, you should never... Do- well, what was the... How, how will we get progress otherwise? So that's but my approach. Do you see this as another case where Donald Trump has missed an opportunity to totally. stand up and say... Absolutely. Well, again, Jamar Khashoggi, whatever. Yeah. It, right? um, if, you, if you read all the columns I wrote, um, about MBS right up to the point of Khashoggi, um, by the end, I was literally screaming. I knew what was going on there. I didn't know they were going to kill Khashoggi, but I, I could see the whole drift of events, and I was literally screaming. Um, you got to draw some red lines, but Trump was never ready to do that because he never cared about the upside I cared about. His upside was weapons contracts. My upside was pluralism. He didn't care about that. You have spent also a lot of time, of course, in Israel, in the Middle East. Um, my, I think the best book I've ever read on the Middle East. Thank you. From Beirut to Jerusalem. Beirut to Jerusalem. <laughs> um, my tattered copy here. Lovely. And so how do you see the situation today uh, with so much going on? And I guess maybe where is the Jared Kushner peace plan? Do you see any hope at all for any two-state solution or any agreement at all? You know, Bill, there's a joke I used to tell, um, uh, which is still all too relevant, um, as is Beirut to Jerusalem, and it's in that book. Um, There was a very religious Jew named Goldberg, and Goldberg used to go to synagogue every Sunday and pray, God, God, what would be so bad if I won the lottery? The lottery would come and Goldberg wouldn't win. He used to go on week after week, God, what would be so bad if I won the lottery? The lottery would come and Goldberg wouldn't win. Finally, one Sabbath, Goldberg's in synagogue, and he literally shouts to the heaven, God, what do I have to do to win the lottery? And the heavens parted, and the voice of God came down and said, Goldberg, give me a chance. Buy a ticket. Okay? So um, uh, you'll know when peace is going to come, not when Jared Kushner comes up with a peace plan. The notion that they need Jared Kushner to tell them, you know, Mm -hmm. what the parameters of a deal are is nonsense. It's when they each are ready to buy a ticket. And right now, for different reasons, neither community is really ready to buy a ticket. And the leadership of the United States, again? Yeah, it just absolutely. doesn't. Uh, we're, we're not. I, I don't blame Trump for that because I'm a big believer that the only time the Middle East puts a smile on your face is actually when it starts with them. Oslo started with them. The Arab Spring started with them. Camp David actually started in secret between Egyptians and Israelis. It's when it starts with them that it's self-sustaining. And then we can provide the catering. We can provide the aid. But it's really got to start with them. You don't blame Trump. Do you blame Bibi? I blame Bibi a lot. But I also, frankly, blame the Palestinians. They're, they're just as culpable. Um, look, they've got a divided government now. you got Hamas in Gaza. 
Hamas has been dropping, you know, rockets on Israel constantly. Um, you got another government in Ramallah, the Palestinian Authority. They they don't have their act together, you know. And you say what you want, you know, about Bibi, but you know, Hamas, Israel did get out of Gaza. Yeah, I mean, had they wanted, they could have built something. Had they decided we're going to build Singapore here, I guarantee you, the relations between that entity and Israel would would be very different. The world would have lined up mm. to give that support. Instead, they built tunnels and rockets, and it's just it's just very disappointing. But the Israelis built settlements, yeah, you know, all over the West Bank. It's a, you know, it, it's just such a symbiotic um, dragging down of the opportunities that I, I, I don't know. I've lost. Who started it? Who's more culpable? All I know is it it won't end in a good way, I think, for either one. Uh, there are hot spots we have not gotten to uh, in the interest of time. But before we close, just a couple of quick issues I want to ask you about. Climate change, really important to you. How yeah. important is it to the world? Uh, look, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer in something that um, the late environmentalist Dana Meadows used to say, um, Bill, and that's we have exactly enough time starting now. We have exactly enough time starting now. If we start. If we start. And if we don't, um, then um, we'll be unto us. We, we, we are courting being a bad biological experiment. You know, one of my teachers, Rob Watson, always likes to say, you know, Mother Nature, she's just chemistry, biology, and physics. That's all she is. You can't talk her up. You can't talk her down. You can't say Mother Nature. You don't understand. We had Donald Trump as president for three years. It could be five more, you know. Um, no, she's going to do whatever chemistry, biology, and physics dictate. And Mother Nature, she always bats last, and she always bats a thousand. Do not mess with Mother Nature, and that's exactly what we're doing. Right. Uh, and finally, 2020. Uh, I know you've written a column. I like Mike. Yeah. Do you still? Oh, I, I, I like Mike. Is he your Bloomberg. guy for 2020? Um, you know, um, I'm big fan of of Mike's. I think he's um, done amazing stuff with his um, uh, with his fortune. I think he's supported amazing causes climate change. He's done more than any person on the planet to cut uh, close coal plants. Um, I think he'd be a very good president. Whether he can get there, I don't know. I like Joe Biden, though, too. Um, and um, uh, I, I think that I know this, Bill, that we don't just need an alternative to Donald Trump. We need an antidote to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has put poison in the veins of this country. And whoever comes next, um, I, I like Bloomberg, I'd be happy with Biden. Um, uh, if there's somebody else, all I know is I think the American people really are starved for someone with kindness. I think they really want to be pulled together. Many of them, not all of them, clearly, but many of them. And if we don't find someone who can replace Donald Trump, if we have five more years of Donald Trump, then we're going to break this thing in ways that we will so regret because, uh, he is a, he's a terrible person. And, um, uh, what he is doing to our country, the poison he's putting in our veins and, and into our institutions will cause irreparable damage. Tom Friedman, you read him in the New York Times. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. Pleasure, Bill. Thank, Thank you. you and that's it for today's podcast with uh, Tom Friedman from the New York Times. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. Uh, and again, we ask you to do us a big favor if you haven't already done so, and that is to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's really important because that's the way the more subscribers we have, the more we can grow the podcast every week. You know how to do it. It's easy. It's free. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn, wherever you go for podcasts. Search for the Bill Press Pod, and once it comes up, click on subscribe, and you are in. And again, we remind you, 
If you follow me on Twitter, which you really should, at BillPressPod, at BillPressPod, you'll get uh, advance notice of every single podcast so you won't miss any one of them. So please uh, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. That's it for today. Happy holidays. We'll be looking for you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.